Welcome to None Dare Call It Ordinary, the podcast that digs into the unusual, unorthodox, and downright unsettling beliefs found at the depths of the internet and the heights of paranoia. I'm your host, Dylan, and with me is the lugubrious Brent. Oh my god, what, I'm glad you didn't go with lackluster. I was, I was thinking maybe a lackluster vibe was going to happen there. But what, what did yours mean? So lugubrious means looking and sounding sad and dismal. Perfect. <laughs> maybe worse than lackluster. I will let you and the listeners decide on that front. That's right. And Forrest isn't here. Yeah. So you can't name Forrest him. is not here. By the time you're listening to this, you'll understand why. Because there is an incredible video that None Dare Call It Ordinary has created, i.e. Forrest has created. It's really his brainchild. It's a beautiful thing. And it will be, if you go to NoneDareCallItOrdinary.com, it'll be the front page, right? It'll be the first thing that you see. You can also visit our YouTube channel, which we have a link to that also on our website. And, ah, Beautiful. <laughs> but because he is working so hard on that, he could not join us for this episode. And just I hope you enjoy. And I hope it was worth waiting an extra week as well <laughs> yeah. for this episode. Yeah. So just a couple of things to get out of the way. First, uh, we have a new patron, mm -hmm. David Ferreira. We thank you so much. He is yeah, a $10 a month member, which is truly incredible. And finally gave us the energy we needed to record a bonus episode, uh, which will also be out when this episode comes out tomorrow on Tuesday. And we will also have a little preview of our bonus episode for our regular subscribers. So you can get a taste of what benefits you get if you sign up to become a patron. $10 a month is the level you have to be at to get those bonus episodes. But even $1 a month gets you a shout out and it gets us closer to our first goal, which is to have more patrons than Sherry Schreiner. We've got three. <laughs> we need to get 10. $1 a month. You can get us there. That's right. In addition to Patreon, we also accept crypto donations. If you go to nondarecallitordinary.com slash donate, you will find our public Bitcoin address. So you can always send us your extra Bitcoin there in case you are suffering from too much FOMO and you're wondering when you're going to moon so you can get the Lambo. <laughs> and that is all terminology yeah. that Brent barely I understands. I have no idea what just happened there, but that's I need to educate myself. You you have to. You are <laughs> in a crypto nerd podcast. You got to get with the times. All right. And lastly, if you could please rate, review and subscribe on iTunes or wherever your podcasts are served. And so what are we talking about today, Dylan? Today, we are continuing our psychedelic cults series with the Rainbow family, which is a group that has been around since the late 60s, early 70s, and they're mostly known for annual rainbow gatherings, which last about a week, generally July 1st to July 7th, and they've got a lot of ideas. <laughs> Not going to say they're good ideas. <laughs> And Brent has some information about where they started. That's right. The Rainbow Family is short for the Rainbow Family of Living Light. So not to be confused with Living Light, which, as we all know from our Breatharian series, is Diet Coke. So that's not the same. Yeah, this is not group. a Wiley Brooks sponsored <laughs> organization. They do not cross paths. So this psychedelic cult is a counterculture group of people that have been in existence since the 1970s. So they claim to express utopian impulses, bohemianism, hipster, and hippie culture. And I think they're using hipster in an older Yeah, I way. think so. It's not like, yeah, it's not like the current day hipsters or whatever, like skinny jeans and stuff like that. Yeah. So a Vice article explains they are, quote, a cross-section of fringe culture, bikers, Jesus freaks, so I guess DC talk fans. Oh, yeah. If anyone gets that joke, I'll be surprised. Counter. This isn't the first time we've talked about DC talk. I mean, They've come up a lot. <laughs> that's true. I'm series. sorry. I can't let him go, apparently. <laughs> so computer programmers kind of doesn't really fit. Uh, naked yogis and gutter punks looking to escape, quote, Babylon, the rainbow shorthand for the various evils of modern life. So in short, you know, people you do not want to talk to at a party. They've all gathered. <laughs> Yes, in their basically. own place. <laughs> so you know how to find That's it. Right. And, and actually, I've got 
pretty bad news for these hippies. So if they had listened to our Lyndon LaRoche series, they'd have known that you can't escape Babylon as long as the oligarchy is in place. Oh, absolutely. So that is just not going to happen. Yeah, hopefully they're not having any gatherings in London because that would just be totally counterproductive. So the Rainbow family also claims they have no leader but are a loose affiliation of small groups with some nomadic individuals. But how does the Rainbow family define itself? Well, a member of the Rainbow family by the name of Carla, simply Carla, says, quote, First of all, be prepared for a different answer from each person who responds. Rainbow is different things to different people. Most of us, though not all, who consider ourselves part of the Rainbow family have attended the Rainbow Gathering of the Tribes, which takes place from July 1st to 7th every year. The first gathering was in 1972. The invitation to it reading as follows. We, who are brothers and sisters, children of God, families of life on earth, friends of nature and of all people, children of humankind, calling ourselves Rainbow Family Tribe, humbly invite all races, peoples, tribes, communes, men, women, children, individuals, out of love, all nations and national leaders, out of respect, all religions and religious leaders, out of faith, all politicians, out of charity. <laughs> so, a little, little jab there at the end. <laughs> and actually, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's really a shame, but these politicians cannot make it. They'll be too busy with their satanic child sacrifice ceremonies at the Bohemian Grove instead. So Yeah, yeah. I feel like the rainbows the, would be like, this is too out there even for us. You know, <laughs> y'all need yeah. to stay on your side of the uh, campsite. Exactly. So the Rainbow Family has an unofficial website run by Rob Savoy that would rival in web design any crystal healing website. The homepage has this quote at the top of their page. When the earth is ravaged and the animals are dying, a new tribe of people shall come unto the earth from many colors, classes, creeds, and who by their actions and deeds shall make the earth green again. <laughs> what? It's like MAGA. <laughs> they will be known as the, <laughs> the warriors of the rainbow. Old Native American prophecy. Make America green again. Yeah, it's like. <laughs> also, as Perfect. we're going to see, this might not be an authentic Native American prophecy. What? I, I know. I know it's hard to imagine, <laughs> but we're going to have some compelling evidence later in the episode. So let's get into the history of the Rainbow Gathering, shall we? Yes. So each year they host a, a primitive camping events on public land known as the Rainbow Gatherings. The origins of these gatherings stretch back to the Vortex One gathering from August 28th to September 3rd, 1970 at Milo MacGyver State Park in Escada, Oregon, which is about 30 miles south of Portland, Oregon. By the I way. gotta say, Vortex so this gathering One wasn't, gathering, way cooler yeah, than Rainbow one. Gathering. Way cooler. I agree. I agree. It's also, it sounds like something that the UFO engineer um, Paul Potter would have oh, attended, actually. Yeah, definitely. Black Vortex gatherings. Sure, yeah. So Garrick Beck and Barry, quote, Plunker Adams, <laughs> two attendees at Vortex One, are considered to be the founders of the Rainbow family. Mr. Plunker, otherwise known as Barry Adams, was the author of the book, Where Have All the Flower Children Gone? According to a Rolling Stone article written in 1972, quote, Plunker is sometimes difficult to talk to. If you ask him where he lives, he'll say Earth. If you ask him about the structure of the tribe, he'll mention Dow. And liken the way of living light to the highway. And as befits a prophet, Plunker extemplarizes in parables. It also befits a really annoying person. I think we should yes, also mention that. That's true. Well, I mean, at least he's not too annoying. He could have answered the question of where he lives by saying the cosmos. I mean, <laughs> yeah, that would have been God. Here. more annoying. <laughs> <laughs> According to an ATI article titled From Peace and Love to Murder and Drugs, <laughs> the story of the Rainbow Family. <laughs> Love that title. Oh. The author writes, quote, Plunker, who had previously lived in a commune on Haight Street in San Francisco, used various Eastern and Western philosophies to attract members to the Rainbow Family. For instance, he'd mentioned Tao or the Book of Revelation, quoting sections like, quote, and I will give power unto my two witnesses. And they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and three score days clothed in sackcloth. And actually, you know, if you're into sackcloth, if you're into these types of things, maybe you're a Kanye West clothing buyer or something like that, you would 
enjoy our book of revelation series so you should check it out yeah and the two witnesses um, we though talk a little bit about that. i think don't they just prophecy for three and a half days i think as so as opposed think to wrong. this 2000 yeah, yeah. we're the experts now we know what we're talking about right God we did two it. whole episodes on this <laughs> stuff <laughs> every single verse we went through <laughs> literally okay continuing with the article He'd even use Native American folklore to say that the Rainbow family was, in a way, a reincarnation of dead warriors reclaiming the earth. And as we're going to learn later, uh, Native Americans didn't really talk about reincarnation all that much. So kind of a bizarre (laughs) mixture there. Garrick Beck is the son of the founder of Living Theater, Julian Beck, which is known for the production of Paradise Now. Which actually, I don't. I didn't know anything about that. Did you? No, I've Have never heard of that. Heard of this thing? I know. I looked it up because I actually I saw a production of Paradise Now, and I there actually is this indie movie about like these two jihadists or whatever. It's called Paradise Now, and I thought that was it. I was like, where is his name? <laughs> he did not show up. But he is act- actually the Paradise Now. It's a self improvisational piece involving audience participation, according to Wiki. It was known for a scene in which actors recited a list of social taboos that included nudity while disrobing, mm. which led to multiple arrests for indecent exposure. Ooh, so, you know, I'm going to have to agree, probably, uh, probably was yeah. pretty gross. <laughs> probably. So let's get to the first Rainbow Gathering and see what they're up to here. The first official Rainbow Family Gathering was held on July 1972 on the Continental Divide at Strawberry Lake, Colorado. It was a four-day event organized by youth counterculture, quote, tribes, based in the Pacific Northwest and Northern California. The Rainbow Family original plan was to gather at nearby Table Lake, but a court order was issued it's against It's a table us. mountain. A lo- <laughs> Damn it. There's a local de- developer by the name of Paul Geisendorfer offered the site at Strawberry Lake, Colorado. And according to the Wikipedia article where I got this from, 20,000 people faced police roadblocks, threatened civil disobedience, and were allowed onto National Forest land. This was intended to be a one-time event, but however, a second gathering in Wyoming the following year materialized, at which point an annual event was declared. Well, they did it twice, so they might as well do it forever. Exactly, that's what I always say. Although groups from California and the Northwest region of the U.S. were heavily involved in the first Rainbow Gathering, the U.S. Southeast was also strongly represented as well. So I guess, you know, the U.S. Southwest and the Northeast just suck. Oh, I don't know. Yeah. yeah they just yeah. they just weren't involved. I guess. Or I they're know. really good because they're they don't have any hippies. They kicked them all out. That's true. <laughs> the Rolling Stone article mentioned early, that I mentioned earlier titled Acid Crawlback Fest Armageddon Postponed <laughs> described the scene at the very first Rainbow Gathering. Quote, the camp was split into tiny communities, people in biblical robes, naked people, various loners drawn together by some kind of affinity. So basically just a Monday night again for me. Yeah. But um, anyway, there were at least five community kitchens, free food from the commune of their choice. And all you had to do was listen to a little chatter and maybe help with some of the work, just like the Salvation Army. The Denver Post said the camp hosted 15,000 people at its rush hour, but there is no real way to accurately estimate the number of pilgrims. Almost all the tents were set in the woods where aerial photos were useless. Others were strung high in the nearby mountains. Beautiful. That's just... Just the place you want to be. Yes. But no one... It's nothing worse than rush hour, though, at uh, Rainbow Gatherings. Oh, man, yeah. It takes an hour to get to the free communal kitchen. (laughs) It's a nightmare. So what have the rainbow gatherings of today look like? Okay, well, since then, the regional rainbow gatherings are held across the globe and throughout the year. These gatherings are welcome to anyone who wishes to attend and are non-commercial. Decisions at these gatherings are reached through group meetings, leading to some form of group consensus. Traditionally, the gatherings last for about a week, usually from July 1st through 7th every year, as we said earlier, in the U.S. on National Forest land. According to the Wikipedia article, quote, in 2017, the United States gathering was held near the 1.4 million acres, Mahler National Forest in Eastern Oregon. Between 10,000 and 18,000 attended the multi-day event near Flagtail Meadow with the largest crowds expected on July 4th. Yeah. So many Obviously. people. Um, so very patriotic. Yes. At the gathering, participants meditate, pray, and or observe silence in a group effort to focus in on attaining world peace. 
These gatherings emphasize spiritual focus towards love, unity, and peace. So again, as you know, Dylan mentioned in our last series, the best way to change something is to do nothing at all. Yeah, actually. exactly. Just, Just think yeah. real hard about world peace and it will <laughs> surely materialize. That's so true. So quote, one of the central features of the annual U.S. gathering is silent meditation on the morning of July the 4th with attendees gathering in a circle in the main meadow. At approximately noon, the assembly begins a collective OM, which is ended with whooping and a celebration. <laughs> whooping. I haven't heard that in, in that context. It's always good to follow an OM with a whoop. Yeah. You always got to follow an OM with a whoop for sure. I mean, you don't want to just OM without a whoop. A parade of children comes from the kitty village, singing and dancing into the middle of the circle. So just no, nothing to say about that. Yeah. Also, Actually, the, uh, it's... A lot of people know the song Whoop, There It Is, but they don't know the previous <laughs> single, Ohm, There It Is. And you got to play them back to back to really get the power out of those that's songs. True. Yeah. Isn't there a metal band that's called like Ohm, like OM? I'm pretty sure that's the thing. That would be the like, because this is the most non-metal thing there is. And yes. so that makes it <laughs> so metal. I bet it's incredible. Oh, yeah. Actually, let's let Rainbow Carla explain this. She does a much better job. Quote, picture 20,000 people in a sunlit meadow, standing silent in prayer, holding hands in one huge unbroken circle. Picture a parade of children approaching, singing songs, their countenances bright with enthusiasm and face pain, balloons and banners waving in the breeze. Picture the breaking of the silence with the cheer from the circle, then the silence returning once again to grow slowly into a thrum of voices united in a single ohm reverberating through the valley and on the hills beyond. Hold the ohm in your mind. Let it spread through and around you and in you. Feel it pass from hand to hand and heart to heart. The magic, the connection you feel is the essence of the rainbow family of living light. So, you know, actually, this sounds like a fucking nightmare to me. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> it actually sounds like a Fellini film or something. I don't know. It's very strange. <laughs> It's like the beginning of a horror movie yeah, where it's like, it's oh, it's a nice peaceful disturbing. village. And then it turns out, oh, they're eating people <laughs> oh, or something God. like that. <laughs> These children are coming down the mountain. It's so scary. Actually, yeah, I didn't even think about this one. I mean, this is this year's rainbow gathering may rival Trump's, you know, 4th of July slash Trump worshiping extravaganza that's happening. I don't know oh. if you thought about that, but I don't hope these patriots choose wisely which one to go to. Yeah. But yeah. We'll you got to do it. Come on, guys. So there are all sorts of creative events to participate in at these gatherings. Quote, creative events may include variety shows, campfire singing, fire juggling, and large or small projects. At one gathering, a cable car was rigged to carry groups of four quickly across the meadow. Fairy camp was alive with the hundreds of bells and oddly illuminated objects. Musicians and music pervade all gatherings at kitchens, on trails, and at campfires. Um, I'm assuming Fish was playing concert at one of these at some point. Um, also, just basically sounds like a Renaissance fair, really, but yeah, I'm not sure. Exactly. So those who attend the gathering share an interest in ecology, intentional communities, entheogens, and new age spirituality. Often attendees at these gatherings call each other, quote, sister or brother or gender neutral term sibling. It's almost like they're a family. Yeah, know. family with no parents, which seems appropriate, actually, now that I think about it. <laughs> also, in case the listeners aren't familiar, entheogen was coined by Ruck et al. in a 1979 paper in the Journal of Psychedelic Drugs. They defined it as, quote, in a strict sense, only those vision-producing drugs that could be shown to have figured in shamanic or religious rites would be designated entheogens. But in a looser sense, the term could also be applied to other drugs, both natural and artificial, that induce alterations of consciousness similar to those documented for ritual ingestion of traditional entheogens. So they came up with this word because they didn't like hallucinogen or psychedelic because they weren't serious enough. (laughs) They wanted a serious word for the real serious stuff going on with mushrooms and jimson weed. It's also it's a it's a very hipster kind of term. Yeah, it's if you want to be pretentious and communicate that you're better than other people (laughs) who just want to get high and have fun. You call them entheogens. So for the gatherings happening outside of the U.S., they often last a month from new moon to new moon. Of course, when do you suppose the peak of the celebration happened during the full moon? Of course, 
you know, whenever one turns into a werewolf. Yeah, so whenever one turns into a werewolf to eat each other. So, you know, so much for world peace. So no more world peace. Peace through extinction. Yes. I like it. I like <laughs> yes. the strategy. That's all right. So the rainbow craze has infected many European countries, which host their own rainbow gatherings. The first European rainbow gathering was in Switzerland in 1983. The 25th recurrence of the annual gathering was in 2007 and hosted in Bosnia, Herzegovina. Here's Okay, so here's a breakdown of the European rainbow gatherings by year and location in the following years. So, And there will be a test, so you yes, need exactly. to memorize this list. Yep. Yes, please do, people. 2008, Serbia. 2009, Ukraine. Chernobyl. I'm just kidding. Ukraine. <laughs> 2010. <laughs> Goddamn. 2010, Finland. 2011, Portugal. 2012, Slovakia. Even though technically the world ended this year, according to the mind calendar, but oh well. Yeah, but that's a parallel universe, so <laughs> oh, we don't have to worry about that. Point. Yeah, that makes yeah, perfect yeah. sense. 2013, Greece. 2014, Romania. 2015, Lithuania. 2016, just says in the Alps. <laughs> Somewhere <laughs> oh. up there. <laughs> Somewhere up there in the Alps. 2017, <laughs> Italy. 2018, Poland. 2019, Sweden. I imagine the 2016 so, gathering, they just said, you got to use your tracking skills to find <laughs> the rest of the rainbows <laughs> just somewhere in the Alps. Beautiful. It's the little known season of uh, the show alone. You got to go to the Alps and find your way to the rainbow gathering. <laughs> All right. So that's just the European gathering, uh, European rainbow gathering. What about the rest of the world? Well, according to the Wikipedia, Wikipedia article, Quote, world gatherings have been held in Australia, Zimbabwe, Brazil, Costa Rica, Canada, Turkey, Thailand, China, New Zealand, Argentina, Guatemala, Mexico, Hungary, Egypt, Ethiopia, Indonesia, and Taiwan, and of course, Colombia. Beautiful. What a beautiful list. Yep. 2019 World Rainbow Gathering will be in Chimala in the Sierra Nevadas of Colombia. Beautiful. But let's look into the future, everyone. So 2020, the World Rainbow Gathering will be in the wonderful place and very wonderful vacation spot, Siberia, Russia. <laughs> so that'll be <laughs> a lot of in attendance there, yeah. a lot of bears. Yeah, get the whole gulag experience. Good times. But the majority of our listeners are probably, you know, I would say most of them are in the U.S. So I'm, I'm sure you're all dying to know where the Rainbow Gathering is in the U.S. this year which is happening right now and you're late. So you better get going. Yeah, you got to get there all week. <laughs> you better get in your goddamn car. According to the unofficial official website of the Rainbow Family, quote, ignore all rumors of cancellation or organization. <laughs> Live lightly with the land and people. So that gave me no information. Then you can move oh, on to this part. Thank God. Thank God they're not organized. <laughs> oh, man. I was about to I was about to cancel my whole trip, but it is disorganized as all heck. We could still go and keep going. So the U.S. Rainbow Gathering will be held, drumroll please, near Iron River, Wisconsin. Oh, there's nothing wrong with Iron River, Wisconsin. I'm sure it's beautiful. I'm sure it is. So the campsite of the gathering has been referred to as Rainbow Land. So also want to let you guys know that capitalism is frowned upon. Mm, There is no money. Money is of no use in Rainbow Land, except, of course, when it is used for donations, which are accepted. Mm, Yes. Um, uh, at the gathering, they take up collections or as they call it, quote, magic hat. <laughs> Bartering is preferred as an alternative to cash, though. Oddly enough, Amex gift cards are accepted, oh, which is interesting. Strange. Well, I guess that's just, still just bartering. No. I mean, you know, you're bartering the cards, yes, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know how they're justifying any of this. And magic hat makes sense. I'm going to watch the magic trick, put your money in the hat and boom, it's disappeared. <laughs> According to <laughs> according to the wiki article, quote, a designated trading area is a feature at most U.S. gatherings. It is called, quote, trading circle if it is circular and get this barter lane if it is oh, linear. Man. Thank God so. they cleared that up. I Hopefully <laughs> they'll always find either a circle or line wherever they go, because it seems that those are yes. the only two ways they know how to barter. But <laughs> if not, I have some recommendations. So they could go with gifting square. Um, also, the trapezoid of exchange. That's another suggestion I have for them. If they happen to encounter those shapes yes. at their next gathering. Nice. Very progressive. I like it. Frequently yeah. traded items include items such as sweets, often referred to as Zuzus for mm. some reason. 
books, zines, crystals, rocks, gems, and handcrafts. Dude, I fucking hope to God these crystals were first decharged. Yeah. And to find out more than the importance of decharging or healing crystals, check out our crystal healing series. I have a but feeling yeah, these is, are the kinds yeah. of folks who are going to be fairly well versed in the crystal healing. I think so I right. would hope I right. that they're yep. being safe. Safety first. So in some cases, people may even trade marijuana or smoking pipes, usually when no police are in the area. Mm. And strangely enough, Snickers bars have emerged as a semi-standardized unit of exchange at some <laughs> gatherings. Not Milky Way. Do not even try. No. To, there's no currency exchange for no. like a Milky Way or something. No. <laughs> You know, uh, but this all makes sense. Snickers is the anti-capitalist non-money money of choice. And so I can see it being used in this circumstance. It does satisfy. Snickers satisfies. Mm. Actually, I would, I would assume that like the Snickers are like the dollar bills and like M&Ms would be like the change. Like, oh, God, like don't give me <laughs> these. <laughs> like the pennies of the uh, zoos or whatever it is. Yeah. Ridiculous. Can I get a roll of light browns, please? That's all my laundry machine takes. <laughs> So the group claims that they are, quote, the largest, best coordinated, non-political, non-denominational, non-organization of like-minded individuals on the planet. Nothing pretentious about that at all. Nothing. (laughs) No. Rubs me the right way. Perfectly. The groups of, quote, non-members even jokingly call their group a, quote, disorganization. Oh, my God. The group's intention. <laughs> I did so much. The group's intention is to create an international community which embodies spirituality and conscious evolution that practices in non-commercialism. Mm. So you know they should they should really start a non-membership club. It's like the anti Barnes and Noble. So do you have your non-membership card to save you ten percent on your Zuzus today, people? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I want to know who's getting all this money. Seriously. They're so raising the raising money. Who is getting it? Just one giant job of the hut fat guy. Yeah. <laughs> it's some guy smoking a cigar <laughs> is actually behind this whole thing. Oh, my God. <laughs> it's probably a Snickers guy. It's probably the CEO of Snickers <laughs> running so this true. whole show. <laughs> So, according to the Wikipedia article, quote, gatherings are loosely maintained by open, freeform councils consisting of any, quote, non-member who wishes to be a part of a council, which use consensus process for making decisions. According to the mini-manual, quote, recognized rainbow rules come from only one source, main council at the annual national gatherings. This non-council really knows how to non-regulate, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. All these non-rules and non-regulations. Yep. So talking circles are also a feature at Rainbow Gatherings. Talking ovals and squares are have been banned, so you need to. But they do have talking lanes. So you can have talking circles or talking lanes. (laughs) Circles and lines. That's all they got. And I think they would be fine with a talking square as long as yeah. you recognize that it's really just four talking lanes. That's, that's you so gotta, true. Yes. That's the lingo. <laughs> Each participant in the circle talks in turn while others present listen in silence. A ritual talking stick, feather, or other object is passed around the circle so as to allow everyone the opportunity to speak without being interrupted. This is an appropriation of North American indigenous customs. So, and it won't be the last time that, they appropriate yes, exactly. North American indigenous custom. So, let's get into some of the logistics of the rainbow gathering. Continue with this Wikipedia article I'm quoting from. Although each event is more or less anarchic, practical guidelines have been reached through the consensus process and are documented in a quote mini manual. Items which are strongly discouraged by some at gatherings include firearms, alcohol, tobacco, and pets. Oh, no pets. <laughs> no pets. It's very sad. Other items that tend to be discouraged include radios, tape players, sound amplifiers, and power tools. Oh, for mm. fuck's sake. I see how it is. No electric drills. The Rainbow family doesn't want people to become truly enlightened through trepanation. What a fucking scam. <laughs> you see, I bad. think, though, I think they're going to provide the hand drill. I think they oh, want you true. to do it the old fashioned way. Yeah, the old school way. That's right. Yeah, it's a little too modern to use the um, electric power drills. There's no, there's no way to power it anyway. So there are various camps for various needs at Rainbow Gatherings. Kid Village, as we mentioned earlier, is a camp for attendees that have children. Jesus Camp 
has a Christian theme to it. Oh, you don't say. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I assume, like in that documentary, they also worship a cardboard cut out of George W. Bush. I'm, I'm assuming that's just how it is. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> tea Time, which is another uh, camp, specializes in herbal teas, which sounds a little too British to me, if you ask me. I don't yeah, LaRouche La wouldn't like any of this. Mm-mm. No, except the Babylon thing, maybe. So there are several kitchens set up for the Rainbow Gathering. Turtle Soup Kitchen serves mostly vegetarian meals. Lovin Ovens, nice one. Lovin Ovens is a kitchen that uses clay and mud ovens to cook foods such as pizza or bread. Mm. Another camp is Nick at Night. It's not what you think. It's not a camp. It's actually, it's not a camp that shows the Friends episode where Joey trepans himself, as we spoke about in the yeah, last no, episode. Not it's that not one that at all. One. No, it's actually a camp that shares tobacco and tobacco related products. Oh, Nick, nicotine. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> no alcohol, but smoking is totally fine. And don't worry if you get lung cancer, you can always go to the remote jungles of Peru and do ayahuasca to cure your cancer, as <laughs> I have been reading about. <laughs> don't do oh, that. Oh, yeah. Actually. That's definitely going to work. Also, because the, yeah. the mini manual says not to bring tobacco. So I like this camp is explicitly going against the tyranny of the mini manual. Yeah. They're not going to let some tiny non-manual tell them what to do exactly it's a non-manual mini manual of non-rules i think is the, yeah what it really just is throwing non it's exactly the same as anything else they're just throwing non in front of every <laughs> word they can according to the wikipedia article quote not all camps are kitchens but all kitchens are camps mm. <laughs> I, wow I, that's okay in addition to feeding passerbys kitchens send food to the one or two large communal Predominantly vegetarian meals served daily in the main meadow. I do like the whole idea of camping at a kitchen. You know, live where you eat. Makes sense. Get it all at once. That's right. Gives a whole new meaning to comfort food. Huh? Probably serve pigs in a blanket. <laughs> vegetarian version, obviously. Yeah. yeah. So at the Rainbow Gatherings, drinking water is collected from a local source, such as a stream or river and is filtered through small pump filters and largely gravity-fed devices such as hundreds of yards of plastic hosing that lead to the kitchens. Participants in the gatherings are also encouraged to boil their water on their own. Mm. However, sanitation is a huge problem at the Rainbow Gatherings. Hippie human waste is... I think I added that. There's a little editorializing there. (laughs) Hippie human waste is deposited in latrine trenches which are referred to as, quote, shitters. Oh, nice. The shit is treated. <laughs> no, it's like, okay. The shit is treated with lime and a coconut. Just kidding. That's not right. Uh, just lime. Also, <laughs> is the term shitters borrowed from Native American culture? I don't I, think so. I, I yeah, I don't yeah. think so either. Come on. So new latrines are often filled and dug daily. In 1987, a rainbow gathering in North Carolina was plagued by a highly contagious outbreak of dysentery causing diarrhea. <laughs> so this is, I want to I just yeah. want to remind our listeners we're talking about thousands of people shitting every day. This is what we're dealing with here. <laughs> and just whoever is on shitter digging duty, I hope they get a boost in their Snickers rations. <laughs> Because this is rough work. So Calm, or the Center for Alternative Living Medicine, is the primary group of doctors at Rainbow Gatherings who assist people with health and wellness and take responsibility for medical emergencies and sanitation of those who attend these large gatherings. I notice it isn't alternative medicine, but alternative living medicine. Uh I hope alternative living isn't just a euphemism for death, because I take it that's the alternative to living. Yes, yes, yes. So it is an all-volunteer, non-hierarchical group encompassing both mainstream, conventional medicine, and alternative medicine, such as naturopathic healing modalities. It is common to find physicians working with herbalists, EMTs helping massage therapists, <laughs> and naturopaths coordinating with registered nurses on patient care. Cats working mm. with dogs. I'm just kidding. Uh, trepanation <laughs> specialists working with brain surgeons. What could go wrong? You know, that's my. I, that's a joke. But hey, nurse, hand me that sage and power drill. Give me. Yeah, got to get going here. That's uh, very. Sounds like a fucking mess. Um, so there's usually one main calm camp near the inner part of the gatherings and smaller first aid stations set up around the gatherings. 
Even those without medical experience are encouraged to help with such things as procuring water and cooking for the healers, who are often too busy to attend main circle or visit other kitchens. Mm. Shanti Sina, or quote, the peace army, or as I call them, hippie security guards, <laughs> are the rainbow ga- are the rainbow gathering conflict resolution specialists. They respond to emergency situations and security issues. Who is allowed to join the, uh, the elite Shanti Sina? According to the wiki article, quote, anyone who is capable of helping at that time. <laughs> Man, <laughs> elite. Really anyone. Yeah, elite. The, the, the elite of the elite. I actually, I guess even the perpetrators of the security threats could theoretically become members of the Peace Army, which is <laughs> oh, man. very strange. <laughs> Turn the tables on them. Also, um, the Peace Army, that's about like as literally Orwellian as you could get. It is. Also, should the truest of true rainbows reject these authoritarian peace army officers? I mean, the non-man, if you will. I don't <laughs> yeah. know. I think they should. Yeah. So continuing, Shanti Sina also sometimes act as liaisons to observers and law enforcement officers who patrol the rainbow gathering, often tracking the movements of police and park rangers through the gathering and overseeing the interactions between officers and people attending the gathering to ensure that neither group instigates or takes part in illegal or inflammatory confrontations. I like illegal, I get, but inflammatory? <laughs> inflammatory is good sometimes. You gotta get inflammatory now and then. It's healthy. It seems like a rainbow thing to do. Yeah, yes, I agree. In 1987, at a gathering in North Carolina, the interaction between the Shanti Sina and police resulted in numerous arrests. A number of federal and local officers were assaulted, threatened, and blocked from patrol areas. The police classified the Shanti Sina as a, quote, criminal gang that were suspected to have collaborated in the assault on an Asheville Citizen Times reporter. Wow. So, that's but, so good. I, I actually, I want to make one correction. I think they labeled these... Mm-hmm activities wrong they peace assaulted peace threatened and peace blocked (laughs) from patrol areas i think that is the more accurate way of describing this exactly also apparently several members who were kicked out of the rainbow gathering by the shanti scene called the quote peace army the gestapo and thugs so damn there's the true rainbows i was hoping for yeah so peaceful that they were kicked out by the peace army so that's um (laughs) wow good stuff it's intense. Yeah, that's the truest of the true. There are some reported cases of the Shante Sina successfully cooperating with local law enforcement. Sellouts. Yeah, 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 exactly. One example in 1998 involved Joseph Geibel, who was a frequent attendee at the gatherings. He was calmly approached by the Shante Sina and escorted to law enforcement. Well, he was a wanted murder suspect. Oh. Though probably a peaceful murder. But oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, obviously. The phrase is also used as a call for aid. If you need help, I guess you just call out Shante Sina. If individuals find themselves in a dispute, they can shout Shante Sina. Everyone with an earshot is expected to then approach the scene calmly, de-escalate where possible, and eventually reach a consensus agreement to settle the dispute. We are all Shante Sina. Yeah, we all got to do it. Deep within. So there has been some conflict with the local community, law enforcement, and the local and federal governments, surprisingly, Mm. with these the Rainbow family and these gatherings. From the Vice article, quote, in preparation for the official start of the gathering next week, local authorities have told residents to avoid the campsite and start locking their doors. While many members of the Rainbow family are upstanding citizens, a small segment of their population have reportedly caused significant and detrimental impacts on nearby communities. The county said in a public letter, warning of possible panhandling, trespassing, public urination, and nudity. When they said trespassing, I initially heard trepanning, and I started to get real excited. <laughs> I thought, okay, now these rainbows are the real deal. That's true. I actually almost said trepanning, just <laughs> skimming through that. I was like, trepanning, public urination. trepanning <laughs> on the mind. Public urination. It's like the Seinfeld episode. That's what yeah. Of. All right. So representatives of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, didn't see them coming into this, have also taken steps to avoid the gathering, including relocating two nearby girls' camps and continue to closely monitor the situation, said LDS spokesperson Eric Hawkins. I want to see, when I heard this, I want to see a horror movie where it's the rainbows and the Mormons and they're kind of, they're camping out in the forest Mm -hmm. and they're kind of antagonistic, but then there's some kind of like forest monster. And they got to team up 
<laughs> to fight this monster. Oh, uh, that's true. I when you wrote this, I I read that part, and I think you you wrote it as Forrest spelled like our co-host here, Forrest, who's not here. Yes, uh, I Forrest. did. I was like, oh god. <laughs> so I just pictured Forrest as a monster in the woods. But yeah, yes, like Forrest be... is like swamp thing. Yeah. <laughs> oh god. Yeah, that would be a great movie. I would love to see that. So continuing with the Vice article, quote, for more than three decades, state and federal officials tried to shut down the Rainbow Gathering or at least force the Rainbows to sign a group use permit with the National Forest Service, driven by what Savoy said was, quote, permit envy of the Bureau of Land Management, which exacts hefty fees from Burning Man. Oh, man, come on. The National Forest Service, it's not the size of the permit, but how you use it. No reason to have permit envy. Permit envy. Sounds like something like James Comey would be into. I don't know. Just Yes, <laughs> yes exactly. <laughs> Just in case you forgot, as we mentioned earlier, Rob Savoy is a rainbow who attended gatherings since 1980, and he runs the unofficial official rainbow website, as mentioned earlier. So it's <laughs> Continuing with the uh, Vice article here, quote, the Forest Service wanted that money, said Savoy. But because the Rainbow family has no leadership, there was no one for the feds to deal with. The government always thought that there was a leader of the group hiding somewhere, he said. So they spent a bunch of years throwing people in jail trying to find someone to sign the permit. <laughs> I love wow. this loophole. I had no idea. <laughs> just, well, we don't have a leader. There's no one to sign the permit. So we just, no, it's free. Man, it's incredible. Yeah, it's, it's just, you know, it's seriously so refreshing to see a group of people finally standing up to the tyranny of signing permits. It's just big permit has had its time. I don't want to. I mean, how fuck you know I'm not going to sign your Babylonian capitalist permit. <laughs> yeah, shit out of my face. Good for them. Come on. So the, the Rainbow Gathering prides itself on being unorganized. So we're not going to invest an extraordinary amount of time trying to enforce these permit issues, said <laughs> David Whittakin, the U.S. Forest Service supervisor for the Onta Wasatch Cache National Forest. Quote, we treat it as a special event, similar to a fire. So, like a fire festival, if you will. <laughs> you <know>? Similar <laughs> to a fire. Damn. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's more it's more like a tornado (laughs) than an event run by human (laughs) beings. (laughs) So as you can see so far, I imagine the Rainbow family and the Rainbow Gathering sounds great. There's nothing wrong with it. It's totally peace and unicorns and rainbows. But (laughs) there is a darker side to the Rainbow Gathering, especially one thing. We've mentioned a few times now is the cultural misappropriation of Native Americans, and Mm -hmm. it is pretty rough. So while rainbows talk about accepting all forms of spirituality, they have a real penchant for Native American spirituality. But Michael I. Neiman, in his book, People of the Rainbow, a Nomadic Utopia, writes, quote, many rainbows are not satisfied to align themselves with Native Americans or to try to learn from them. They want to be Indians. A few even claim to out Indian the Indians, claiming they are here to teach Indians how to be Indians. I don't see how this is insulting at all. I oh, mean, no. just this is God. totally all above board. This is like the worst I could ever imagine. Yeah. So where did this idea of out Indianing Indians come from? It became popular for the rainbows and really the wider New Age community with the 1962 book Warriors of the Rainbow by William Willoya and Vincent Brown. Strangely enough, Warriors of the Rainbow doesn't promote a return to traditional Native American beliefs, but evangelical Christianity. The authors assert that American Indian prophecies are actually about the second coming of Christ. Okay. And of course, there's a little dose of anti-Semitism involved. Obviously, Obviously, yeah. Yeah. And specifically by warning Native Americans to not reject their Messiah the way those silly Jews did. You gotta let them know. Come on, get it together. LaRouche would like this. Now it's getting back to his sort of (laughs) kind of world. And he's gonna and he's gonna (laughs) like it even more because Stephen McFadden, in his Ancient Voices Current Affairs, The Legend of the Rainbow Warriors took it a step further and added some racism to the mix. Quote, In McFadden's Eurocentric fantasy, light-skinned people have intellect and will, 
while red-skinned people have intuition and spiritual awareness. Yellow and black-skinned people, having no real role in McFadden's story, are simply endowed with... gifts. The light-skinned brothers and sisters, according to McFadden's fable, are the reincarnated souls of the Indians who were enslaved or killed by the settlers. Wow. And as we've mentioned earlier, and as Neiman reminds us, reincarnation isn't really a popular Native American belief. Uh, can, you, can you imagine like your whole family and tribe is murdered in cold blood by white settlers and, you know, you wake up reincarnated, reincarnated in a stinky hippie white man's body. It's just completely brutal. I just, I just, <laughs> the horror. That, that's disgusting. <laughs> Terrible. So returning to Warriors of the Rainbow, they talk about, quote, heroes of the new age and how they're taking on the mantle of quote, the Indians of old. <laughs> and to just make it clear that Waloya and Brown aren't talking about, you know, actual American Indians, the ones who are like totally still alive. All right. They also use the phrases, great Indians of old, pure Indians of old, glorious Indians of the past, <laughs> radiant Indians of old, kind Indians of old, joyful Indians of old, and wise Indians of old. So what what do they think about American Indians who are not so old? You know, the ones who are still alive. Well, Waloya and Brown say they have, quote, been sleeping, physically conquered by the white people. Uh, <laughs> God. Again, not insulting. No, not at in all. the slightest. So this totally not insulting idea has now been built directly into the rainbows, quote, fake lore, which is an incredible nice. term. I love that. that, I, that we learned. On, on this way. And this term was coined by folklorist Richard M. Dorson and it refers to, quote, a synthetic product claiming to be authentic oral tradition, but actually tailored for mass edification. Let's get hashtag fake lore trending, everyone. Come on. That is. Yes, lovely, exactly. Lovely phrase. I would love it. And so here's some of the fake lore that has been built into the whole rainbow story. According to a hip historian. <laughs> At the uh, 1990 uh, gathering, <laughs> this is the this is their word. I'm sorry <laughs> that I even said it. And so this is this is what the historian said. I want to be very clear up front. This is this is a story he told. <laughs> a Lakota man came to the 1983 gathering to reveal a prophecy from Sitting Bull himself. Oh, Quote: wow. The children of the whites go back out to the mother and bring the spirit and live in the teepee. And they bring the spirit back to the sons of the natives who are lost and they find the spirit together and they become native. After a brief pause, the historian continues. We are native. That was like an Indian tradition. <laughs> so beautiful. clearly. Beautiful. Yeah. So after hearing this totally true story. The Rainbows decided to give back to the Lakotas. At a South Dakota gathering in 1992, Rainbows decided to team up to teach the apparently hapless Lakotas how to grow their own vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the first Thanksgiving in reverse. Yeah, That's, exactly. Um, very strange. <laughs> I, I'm not sure where <laughs> they got the idea history. that they're just not eating. <laughs> I don't know. Um, <laughs> but sadly, this project was not to be. As Neiman explains, quote, the facilitators of the South Dakota gathering, however, never got the gardening project off the ground. Lakota never got to experience the living theater comedy of a bunch of bright eyed city white folks magically transforming their barren reservation into a <laughs> fertile valley. <laughs> wow. Lordy B. That's yeah, beautiful. it's so good. And a big part of the rainbow fake lore, probably the biggest part that really justifies all the stupid shit they do are supposedly Hopi beliefs, beliefs from the Hopi tribe uh -huh. from the book Rainbow Oracle quote. Thus, it is foretold the true light family will come bringing the long lost stone tablet symbol of the land and return it to the Indians. That's, that's getting a little Moses -y there, but OK. Yeah, they're That's kind fine. of into the Christian stuff yeah, is kind of inflected in the starting thing. to seep through here. So one. So Barry Adams, who we mentioned earlier, one of the co-founders of the Rainbow family, he himself heard this supposedly Hopi prophecy about the sacred stone uh, tablet. And he, the version he heard also required bringing a red blanket and a hat. Oh, was uh, hopefully it wasn't a red hat. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. I that don't know. Be... I think just the blanket was red. <laughs> 
just the okay. And Barry Adams did just that. In 1970, he met with Thomas Banyaka, who was selected by Hopi elders to be a kind of receptacle of Hopi beliefs. <laughs> wow. Adams told Banyaka, quote, as far as I know, I'm one of those beings that you're looking for called the rainbow. Uh, yeah. Also, I don't I just want to say to our listeners, I don't recommend using that phrase maybe on the first date. I'm just saying just don't <laughs> start it off. Yeah, maybe <laughs> third, maybe wait for the third date before yeah, dropping off, yeah. you know, the rainbow prophecy. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I would recommend, too. So Neiman decided to ask Thomas Banyaka himself about this. And he, you know what? He doesn't remember meeting Barry Adams, huh. believe it or not. Yeah. Nyman says, quote, he said a lot of white people dress up in red shirts and come knocking on his door, claiming to be the white brother of the prophecies. <laughs> I, I want it. I want this to be a documentary. I would love to just see just seeing this happen. Like, what a bizarre <laughs> yeah, I, I would, scene. I would absolutely love it. <laughs> So one of these white people was a rainbow who interpreted red shirt or red blanket as red car. And he actually showed up in a red car and thought like that was good enough, apparently. And the Hobie apparently disagreed with this interpretation and sent him on his way. As a result, the would be savior concluded that the rainbows were actually the Hopi people all along. OK. And that, okay. you know. Yeah, the rainbows are the true Hopi Indians, which is okay. one Sorry, of the Hopi more people. disgusting things yeah. they like to do is to say, exactly. you know, again, out Indianing the Indians. Jesus. Another core, quote, Hopi prophecy, which can be found everywhere at a gathering, is the following, quote, there will come a tribe of people of all cultures who believe in deeds, not words, and who will restore the earth to its former beauty. This tribe will be called Warriors of the Rainbow. And again, Neiman had a chance to talk with Thomas Bankaya, who's kind of the official representative of Hopi belief. Mm -hmm. And he confirms that this isn't a Hopi prophecy at all, as uh. you could have imagined. It turns out it was fabricated just out of whole cloth in that Warriors of the Rainbow book. As Bankaya explains, quote, Waloya came and spoke with me. Then he wrote that book with Vincent Brown. They are the ones who put this rainbow warrior concept out there, and those people picked it up. As to their claim that this prophecy originates with the Hopi, Bankaya simply says, it's not right. We hope they will stop it. We hope they will stop it. Uh, uh, oh, Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh, now, this, this respect of Native Americans, it doesn't just stop at their beliefs, but their property oh, as well. Good, good. Yeah, absolutely. It's great. <laughs> uh, white people have never done that ever before. Rainbows often try to get approval for the location of their gatherings from local Indian tribes, treating them as the true stewards of the land rather than officials from the Forest Service, which sounds good. Yeah. You know, yeah. you know, or, you know, uh, that sounds pretty cool. But it turns out they have a habit of delegitimizing Indian leaders who are not really into them being on the land. <laughs> so that's kind of the trick that they like to pull. Well, you know, those specific Indians just aren't Indian enough, clearly. I mean, that's. What's yeah, really happening. you joke, but that's I, exactly what they do. <laughs> <I know. laughs> so in a 1984 gathering uh, was at Modoc National Forest in California in an area claimed by the Pitt River Tribal Council. The council was opposed to the rainbows using the area because, quote, they are desecrating culturally significant religious sacred grounds and demonstrating blatant disrespect for the Pitt River tribe, tribal elders and our religious ways and sacred lands. Garrick Beck, uh, again, another one of the Rainbow family co-founders, wasn't convinced with this explanation, saying, quote, yeah, these are sacred mountains. That's why we're going there. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah. And Beck continues, quote, we found that the Indian group was divided into different camps. You got Indian groups there that are getting a lot of government money mm -hmm. that elect Bureau of Indian Affairs sponsored leaders to negotiate the tribe's resources, mining, cattle grazing, timber and allow corporate giants to make a lot of money by exploiting Indian lands while the Indians get a little bit of a divvy up, enough to get a pickup truck. Oh, man. And it was these kinds of people who ruled in their meaning against us and told us they didn't want us there. <laughs> so, you know, accusing the Indians of selling out, basically. Right. The 1990 gathering claimed to send representatives to the Onondaga tribe to get permission to hold a gathering at the Finger Lakes National Forest. Mm. And apparently they got permission from, quote, Elders. Oh, okay. But Orin Lyons, faith keeper of the Grand Council of Chiefs of the Haudenosaunee and Onondaga chief, 
had no recollection of rainbows asking for permission at all. Okay, well, well, I first, I, I just want to say, I spot the first problem here. Um, Orin Lyons is on a council, not a non-council. Mm. I, mean, I bet they didn't even have talking sticks or feathers or anything. I, they're not, you know, we know who the true Indians are here. Come on. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. They had a pickup truck, so you know they're not real. right. Come on, yeah. guys. They had pickup trucks. But also, Orin Lyons says if the rainbows did ask him, he would have told them to check with the Cayuga tribe. Since Finger Lakes National Forest is on their land, not oh, Onondaga okay. land. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like some more evil permit talk to me, but whatever. I don't even. <laughs> yeah, that's okay. just craziness. And we're going to end this section on the American Indians getting a bit of payback in a really good yes, way. Yes. So yes. the Quebec Rainbow family set up shop on the Montane Indian Reservation, only asking where to set up once they had actually gotten there. So, you know, asking permission when they're actually there. <laughs> That's perfect. And yeah. Neiman has a beautiful excerpt about what happened next. Quote, the Montanay sent them to a contested area that a local construction company was using as a gravel mine and dump for construction debris. <laughs> the Indians used an adjacent area for fishing and drinking beer while doing a bit of dumping themselves on the rainbow site. The rainbows believe the area was sacred Indian land. <laughs> <laughs> a Montagnay visitor told me, however, no, it is how you say a dump. <laughs> Despite oh being God. surrounded by tons of trash and debris, few rainbows accepted the fact that they camped on a dump. <laughs> Sacred dump. Oh, my God. It's, a, <laughs> it's like the exact opposite of glamping. Oh, Jesus uh, Christ. Yeah, I oh love it so much. So perfect. Perfect payback. And so we're going to end on the maybe darker or lighter side, depending on how you see it. So <laughs> as you can imagine, we're talking about a psychedelic group and drugs mm. are definitely involved. You know, we've talked about the ethnogens, ugh, if you're going to be fancy about it, or hallucinogens like the rest of us. Are you a historian? Uh, yeah, okay. I am a bit of a historian. I didn't know if you transitioned over. But lately, they've had some other drug problems. Neiman himself describes the newer look of the Rainbow Gathering, quote, there's been a crystal meth problem, oh, a crack problem, oh. a homeless problem. Okay. You'll start seeing kids from nearby cities. They have no place else to go. So they'll show up at the rainbow gatherings. This, you know, this is clearly addressed in the first few pages of the mini manual. Clearly no one is reading this little pamphlet. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, well, one on, of guys. the rules of the mini manual is that you don't have to read it because there are no rules. Yeah. That's the problem. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Rob Savoy himself, who is the owner of that official non-official website, has also <laughs> talked about this, saying, quote, the crowd has changed. Now we're dealing with kids who come to gatherings and use drugs and incite violence. And the Rainbow family is not really set up to deal with that kind of behavior. <laughs> A lot of these kids end up hanging out more in town and causing trouble with the locals. Uh -huh. It's an embarrassment. It's a little bit of a drag that we've sort of become a refugee camp. Where the hell is the Peace Army is what I want to know. Get on this stuff. Yeah, Shanti Cena. They need yeah. to be yelling that out at all times. I mean, the problem is all the meth heads are also, you know, joining <laughs> also, yeah. you know, Shanti Cena as soon as they can. And yeah, it's a bit of a problem. Infiltrated the army. Yeah. And we're going to end as he as both of them mentioned, there's been issues of violence. There have been a few deaths either from violence or just people, you know, dying of heart attacks or whatever. Again, a lot of these are aging hippies. So, of mm -hmm. course, there's going to be a few deaths when you have True. a few thousand people. But there's one recent and particularly evocative story of murder at one of these rainbow gatherings at the 2014 Provo, Utah rainbow gathering liliana garcia was arrested for stabbing a man and charged with attempted murder huh. now right. her name is liliana garcia but you probably better know her under her alias hitler <laughs> which is apparently which the article just said that's apparently how she was known as by the rainbows that was her <laughs> name she went by hitler oh we're God. not we're not no calling her hitler that. we're yeah. just yeah <laughs> yeah, that's yeah that's what you want to be called <laughs> Hitler's attorney, David Van Campen, tried to get her $20,000 bail reduced, but was hit with a surprise in the courtroom from prosecutors. Quote, if we're addressing bail, we'll be asking for more, Deputy Wasatch County Attorney McKay King said, because we found out today that in addition to stabbing the victim in the crime charged, she also assaulted another individual with a tire iron. Oh, man, that is classic Hitler. Um, uh, also, yeah. are we are we completely sure this wasn't Michael Jordan? I'm I don't sorry. think so. I don't. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. If I was her, I would I would go by the artist formerly known as Hitler. Yeah. I would, you know, maybe yeah. it's very go with a different alias. So in the end, 
While Hitler was charged with attempted murder, that charge was dropped and she pleaded no contest to aggravated assault and she was sentenced to 300 days in the Wasatch County Jail. Oh, poor Hitler. Yeah, poor Hitler indeed. And with Hitler's plight, <laughs> we are done with the second part of our psychedelic cults series. So, Brent, what did you learn in today's episode? What most intrigued you? Well, I tell you, I have a new thing to go to now. Who cares about Coachella? Who cares about Burning Man? Any of these other things? Um, you know, I live in Vegas. We have Life is Beautiful here. It's just a music festival. Um, I now have something else to go to. In fact, we should be reporting from the Rainbow Gathering uh, but that is yeah, such a drive. Yeah, we would have. It's fairly, it's like a 10-hour drive from me <laughs> if I had known. We might have to send a representative next year. We might have to do a little bit of on-the-site reporting. That's right. Leave to uh, find on. out. I don't know if I could fit in. I would have to get a costume of some kind. Uh, <laughs> figure that one out. But yeah, I definitely would love to infiltrate one of these here non-organizations. That's right. I, I love the mini-manual. I would love to get a copy of it. I yeah, love absolutely. the fact that Hitler is how we ended this, which, you know, it, <laughs> it's amazing how everything somehow still has anti-Semitism and Hitler. I didn't expect that. I didn't expect the Mormons to come involved in this. Yeah. I, <laughs> I really didn't. Um, but that was wonderful. And I think I think there's even a little bit more where they talk about a lot of the environmental impact that these groups have. They do really besides all the, you know, the the avalanche or mudslide of like shit that comes down um, yeah. is what I picture. Yeah. That's one but thing yeah. we didn't really get into in this episode <laughs> yeah. is yeah, there's definitely some issues with environmental, like not cleaning up right. after themselves. Yeah. There, and there so seems to have been, I think one reason we didn't go into it is there's kind of, it seems like there's, it's unclear what the truth is about that. You see reporting sure. kind of on both sides. Cause you know, these people are goofy, but yeah. There's also a lot of people who just don't like them, and so they do get negative bad press, but right. they all they are also kind of dickheads. So, you know, it's yeah. you get, you know, I watched you get the good and the bad. I know there is on YouTube I watched I wasted my I don't know what it was, like an hour and a half or something watching well, actually there's a couple there's actually a pretty decent documentary, but it's a pro Rainbow Gathering documentary. But it's just mm, I don't know if you've yeah. watched it. It's it's like pretty painful to watch, but you get to kind of see what goes on. You, they show the you know the parade of children coming down the mountain. Um, the yeah, so there's that, and then there's uh, there's a couple other. I watched some like new modern. Uh, I think it was from last year, maybe like Rainbow Gathering. Someone was filming and just walk around, and be like, "Can I film you?" And they did like film people dancing, and it was just a bunch of naked people everywhere. <laughs> Um, it was looked really <laughs> crazy, but yeah, so I don't know. So I would say do your research, go out there. You can watch it. I would definitely not support this group, but, but I don't know. What about you, Dylan? What'd you, uh, what'd you really gain from this? So I think all the stuff about the native American oh, yeah. uh, cultural yeah. appropriation was really the most fascinating. And this kind of idea of fake lore and just this idea of white people being the real Indians. <laughs> Why so do crazy. we, We've talked about this before, just about this whole idea of white people being the real you take an oppressed group. Yeah. And so instead of feeling bad, you just say, no, we're the real right. oppressed group. You know, we're the real Indians. Or I mean, there's people who think that like white Anglo-Saxons are the real Israelis. Right. You know, there's all that kind of stuff going on uh, that Neiman actually himself mentioned all the shenanigans with them faking all these Hopi legends yeah. and trying to make what they're doing more important than it really is. Yes. They just want to have fun in the woods. Right. I, I, <laughs> I don't get why they can't just accept that's fine. You can have fun yeah, in the woods. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you don't got to invent all this uh, stuff. Right? <laughs> and so again, that is our second part of our psychedelic cults series. And just to let you know, you can reach out to us on social media. We are on Twitter at NDCIO and Instagram at none dare call it ordinary. And you can also email us none dare call it ordinary at gmail.com. And we are always collecting submissions for a none dare call it wrong episode. So if we get something, if we say something false, if we take a speculation too far, reach out to us on either social media or email. And let us know what we got wrong. We love being disproven. Mm -hmm. And also our website, none dare call it ordinary.com. You could find links to our Patreon account. 
Uh, again, $1 a month, you can get us to our first goal where we beat Sherry Shriner yes. and have more pa- <laughs> patrons than she does. Not only is she a Karn artist, she's not she even is alive. no longer yes. alive. <laughs> yes. She's n- That money is that going is, nowhere. Right. She's never taken that out of her account. <laughs> and so I would just ask if you think we deserve more patrons than her, $1 a month, you get a shout out and you're supporting this podcast. And keeping it going, keeping us so we're self-sustaining. And with that, we are... are